0: Hello everybody and welcome to Gaming in the Wild, a video games podcast about games from the artistic, creative side of the tracks, from indie to AAA. My name's John, I'm your host. I'm recording on Saturday the 6th of January 2024 out here in Reykjavik, Iceland as always. I hope that everyone out there had a great New Year and that you're enjoying the start of 2024. And the time has come. It's it's been games of the year time for quite a while here on the show. We've done 3 Episodes. We had Brad Galloway on as a guest, we had Kieran Daly on as a guest, and we had Blinkoom, aka Steve, from Polykill. So we've had three really good Games of the Year episodes, with a bunch of guests coming in and telling me their favourite Games of the Year... And I've been putting off doing my personal list because I'm still playing a couple really good games, but honestly, I think I'm procrastinating at this point. I have a list here of 17 games that were my games of the year. Um, it's not exactly a final cut in the way that I've done in previous years because this year was just so big with so many releases. There are, there are games that I didn't get to. I didn't get to Slay the Princess. I didn't get all the way through Baldur's Gate 3. Um, and so there are qualifiers this year in a way that I feel like there haven't been for my previous games of the year shows. Um, so it's going to be a different kind of list this time. It's um, it's a personal list. It's a list that you might be surprised by. I think there are a few big surprises in here for people, uh, given the tone and tenor of all of the discussions that are going on out there in the internet as people look back at 2023. So I really hope that you will enjoy the episode. Um, it's very much my list this year, um, and I am proud of it. Uh, but before we do get to that list... And We always get an influx of new listeners at this time of the year who are finding Gaming in the Wild for the first time. If you are one of those people, then welcome. I'm glad that you found the show. Um, I hope that you enjoy what you hear today. Um, I review one game a week throughout the year. I cover some news on the show. Um, I cover indie games, I cover artistic games, I also cover some some big ones, some big A games. Um, so if you do enjoy this Games of the Year episode, please do smash, subscribe, wherever you're listening. Uh, drop a star rating, drop a review. Um, and if you really, really do like the show and you end up listening to it a lot, there is also a Patreon that you can join at patreon.com slash gaminginthewild, where people pay $1, 3 or $5 a month or euros or pounds. Um, they get access to the Patreon Discord server. Um, and a load of other perks, a load of bonus episodes, that kind of thing. It's a lovely, lovely community of patrons that we have. Um, so you are welcome to join us at patreon.com slash gaming in the wild. And with that preamble out of the way, I think it's time to get to it. So why don't we do it? The time has come. I'm gonna share with you the Gaming in the Wild games of the year for 2023. start off with a few honorable mentions here these are games that i really enjoyed this year that i had a really good time with um looking back across the year that was i played over 200 games uh, over 90 of them were from 2023 and i've whittled this list down to just 17 games um so this really is the cream of the crop so even the games in these honorable mentions um, i had a really really good time with this year um, and the first one that i have here is sludge life 2 by terry velman and published by devolver this came out back on the 8th of june It took me a while to get to it, but get to it I did. It's currently only on Steam, uh, but in my review of it, I said, Sludge Life 2 is an extremely welcome sequel that gives us more of the original's winning formula. It's an improbably enjoyable game that mixes high-speed first-person parkour with tagging, urban exploration, puerile humour, a wavy soundtrack, and a bleak world full of hilarious NPCs that are just trying to get through life- um, I am a huge fan of the Sludge Life games, I really am. I love the music, some of which we're listening to now. It's a very musically-led game. Um, in these games, you parkour through a, a sort of vector graphics, 3D world in first person. Um, you use your camera to find tagging spots, little icons appear around you. You parkour up to them, going across uh, scaffolds, buildings, balconies, pipes and ladders. Um, you tag them, um, you see graffiti appearing before your eyes. Your reputation goes up and on you go. You run around this world. Uh, tagging it with your tag as ghost Uh, but it's the humor that I really love about them I think It's the style and humour. I mean, the movement is spectacular. Um, It feels so good. You mantle effortlessly. You feel like you're flying through this world. It's something that I always enjoy. Uh, But the funny NPCs that you meet along the way, um, all of the music coming from ghetto blasters, speakers, shop sound systems, as you run through the world, make this just feel like a very lived-in environment. These NPCs are trying to get through life. They are playing music. They are smoking. They are complaining about their jobs and living under capitalism. And you're just working your way through it, through a funny little story. A pretty short game. Um, You can get it knocked out in just a couple of hours, but a really, really good one. So Sludge Life 2 gets my first honourable mention for 2023. And next, we have a bit of a wild card, a bit of a curveball, a game that you won't be seeing on many lists, I think, but I had a really good time with it. This one is called Wild Hearts. So Wild Hearts is a monster hunting game by Omega Force and published by EA. It came out on February 16th, and at the time, um, I picked it up at full price, having played the demo. I was just blown away by the demo, by the scale of the monster fights, by the look, by the beautiful music, and by the really cool uh, battle-building mechanics, where you're building machines of war as you uh, battle these huge monsters. Um, I did review this one, and at the time I said, Wild Hearts is an idiosyncratic monster-hunting RPG set in a fantasy samurai world, where humanity is beset by wild aggressive megafauna. He tracked down these huge spectacular kimono through fun open world areas, engaging in multi-phase battles and using dynamic mid-battle building. The game's performance is extremely janky, but the addictive combat makes for a thrilling ride. Um, and I do think back really fondly on this game, um, the scale of the battles, the wonderful design. Um, it's a very strange and janky game. It looks kind of odd, it plays kind of odd, um, it's got a lot of rough edges on it, but there's just some things about it that are so right. Uh, the monsters themselves are things like squirrels, boars, uh, raccoons, but just the size of a house. Um, and they have such strange, interesting behaviour. Um, these attack patterns, they come at you, they charge at you across the arenas. Um, they're multi-phases, so it might run away after it's lost a third of its health bar, and you have to chase it through the world. And all of this time, you are building things, you are building catapults to throw yourself onto the monster. You're building giant hammers that can come crashing down on it when it's stunned. Uh, You're building bulwarks and walls that they can charge into uh, and become stunned. And then leaping off the top of the bulwark and driving your sword into the monster. Um, There is an economy too. Monster parts can be used to make new weapons and make new armour. Um, and there is a story as well about why the uh, the kimono have gone crazy in this world. So there's a bit of an environmental parable to it as well. Um, it's just a very, very good, fun game. I've never played a Monster Hunter game, and this did give me a taste for it. Um, the battle's just got my heart racing every time. That's Wild Hearts. And the next game we have here in the Honourable Mentions, the third Honourable Mention, is a small open world with a big heart. It is the lovely Chia. Oh. Chia is a really delightful little game by our Seb, first-time developer, um, based out in New Caledonia, down in Australasia. The game came out on March 21st. It was initially on PlayStation Plus. Um, it was one of the early signs that PlayStation might be on the right track with their subscription service. Um, I reviewed it at the time, and I said, Chia is a s- charming, sun-drenched, open-world adventure in which a child protagonist sails, runs, floats, and flies through a beautiful, mountainous archipelago. The engrossing world casts a spell that's occasionally broken by unexpected bouts of combat but it's a recommendation nonetheless um this is a really good little game um, i had a lovely time with it it's a sunny sun-drenched open world that has the atmosphere of the wind waker you are rafting around these tropical islands with beaches and towns mountains to climb forests to explore secrets to find caves to delve into um, and it's just It's just great at it. It is all based around Neo-Caledonian folklore and culture, Um, so it has a lot of heart in it. It has this very wholesome music. It has a wholesome Pixar kind of feel to it. Um, The weather effects really did make me think of Wind Waker, that experience of heading out into the open waves. Um, And it's very much its own thing, this game. Um, I really like the traversal mechanics where you can fly into an object, possess an object, such as a beach ball, such as a bird, such as a, a boulder, and you can bounce around, you become them. Chia vanishes into the object, so there's a kind of animism to it. Um, And as you travel around the world, it just makes you feel like a part of this world. Um, It also had a very creepy, spooky story. Um, And some of my strong memories of uh, gaming um, from this year will involve Chia. Um, I especially think about climbing to the highest mountain in the two islands, Um, looking back at the island that I'd explored already, and just being able to see all of the places that I had been, it just felt so physical. It felt so real. Um, They did a really, really good job with Gia. It's a very good little game. Um, The only dings on it really are that there is a little bit of an Ubisoft um, or Grand Theft Auto influence in the encounter design. Uh, Combat does become a factor. Enemy encampments do become a factor. And other than that, the game really does plough its own furrow with the cooking, with the rhythm game, uh, with all of the cultural stuff that you're doing with wood carving. Um, and all of that kind of stuff, it really didn't need that that gamer shit uh, jammed into it. And I'm a little sad that they put it there. Um, That's why it's where it is on this list. There are games above it that did not cave in to uh, doing the expected gameplay, the obvious gameplay, quite so much. And that did push Chia down. But it's a a full recommendation from me. Um, I think if you're looking for a sunny game in the dark winter to play over a weekend and just bring some sunshine into your life, uh, Chia is a great pick. Um, And the next game that I have, the fourth honourable mention, couldn't be more different. It's a spooky sci-fi remake. It is Dead Space 2023. So the Dead Space remake was a hotly anticipated one, actually. It's a beloved sci-fi horror game. Um, The remake was made by Motive, published by EA on January 27th, way back at the start of the year. Um, I've never made a full episode about this game, um, but I have talked about it several times. It got a little bit too creepy for me, and it got a little bit too hard for me. Um, So it's one of the games on this list that I did not finish. Um, But this is a game that I admire on many levels, uh, not least just to witness the expertise and craft of its design, Um, It has absolutely masterful pacing. Uh, The opening section is one of the best ever, in my opinion. It's incredibly tight and cinematic. Um, You land on a space station to do a routine job. It turns out that the space station is completely overrun. Everyone has been killed or mutated. There are monsters everywhere. And you really do descend into the belly of the beast as the station spins out of control. Um, and it's just a, a disaster movie. It's like a titanic scale disaster movie mixed with all of the horror and claustrophobia of a game like Alien. Um, the Ishimura as a setting is literally perfect. Um, the cavernous industrial spaces, the humming machinery, uh, the functional spaces, cafeterias, waiting rooms, the visual storytelling in the medic bays where you'll find the the horrible remains of um, scientific experiments to try and find out what is going on. Um, It's just a real horror show in the best possible way. Uh, One of the most shocking, surprising, scary moments I've had in any game happened in this, and it wasn't even to do with a monster. I was walking through a narrow corridor when suddenly a huge, shuddering clunk echoed through the ship. The lights went down completely, leaving me in the dark. And my heart was racing, my senses were bristling, the hairs on the back of my neck shot up, and the lights came back on. Um, And as simple as that sounds, Um, just using that, thinking to use that in a horror game was just absolutely masterful. Um, there is of course the famous diegetic UI. There is no HUD in the game and the health is on the player's back. There is no map that you can use really. You have to, um, press a button and you'll see a line guiding you towards your next objective. Uh, The combat is tense. There are these monsters that come out of air vents all around you. I really enjoyed the combat in this game. It feels crunching and physical, and you really do have to count your ammo. Um, So it's a survival horror game at its heart. Um, But I just think that Dead Space is an absolute triumph in game design. I appreciate so many of the small decisions that have been made here. Um, It runs absolutely flawlessly. It is a show pony for next-gen technology. 60 FPS at 4K, beautiful lighting, ray-traced everything. Just an absolutely gorgeous game. Um, I could not recommend Dead Space more. Which brings us to the last of the honourable mentions here, is a little indie game called Gunbrella. So Gunbrella is a little pixel art indie game by Doinksoft, which I will stand by being the worst developer name I've ever heard, I think. Uh, It came out on September the 13th. It was published by Devolver. Um, I reviewed it at the time and said Gunbrella is a slick, snappy, vibey action platformer with a surprisingly affecting story and some welcome adventure game elements. And the main concept of Gunbrella is the Gunbrella itself. It is a gun. It works as a shotgun. Um, But if you jump and then raise the umbrella while you're in the air you will shoot in a direction that you're facing. So it acts as the world's best double jump, as I have phrased it. Um, There is a wall cling. There is a wall jump. You will be celesting around this game. Um, I just took to the movement like a duck to water, honestly. Uh, The combat is also very fun. It had a little bit of Katana Zero vibes. So you'll come up against a few enemies. and You have to figure out how to shoot yourself around the space to take them all out before they get to you. Uh, It can be quite hard, but in a good way. Challenging little game. It's all quite bleak in the colour scheme. It's very grey, it's very brown. It feels very dark and run down, like the old dusty West. Uh, But it also has elements of sci-fi, elements of horror, Um, and a really good story. At the start of the game, your little character um, is out picking mushrooms, your little bearded guy with glasses... Um, and suddenly he sees his house on fire in the distance, he rushes back, his wife has been killed, his daughter has been taken, and there is a gunbrella at the scene of the crime. So it's a Seven Samurai-style revenge story, where many years later, your broken character, who used to be this wholesome guy, um, goes on a revenge quest to find the owner of the gunbrella. So you're investigating, you're going from town to town through these little wild platform areas. In the towns, there are people to talk to, there are side quests to do, there are upgrades to buy. Um, a surprising amount of dialogue, a surprising amount of world colour and story. Um, you will also fight giant bosses, mutated bosses. Um, and the story rounds off really well. There are, there are two endings in this game. I will say that I think that the true ending is is tucked away behind just a, a fairly random and innocuous seeming little bit of gameplay. It's a little too hard to find them. Um, I was slightly aggrieved by that, but I was very happy with what I got out of this game. I enjoyed the, the action, I enjoyed the story, I enjoyed the music, the look, the movement. It's a really good little indie game, that's Gumbrella. And that is the last of the runners-up and the honourable mentions, but there are two games that I want to talk about before we get to my top 10. Um, This might be controversial. I've I've been thinking all year about how to handle the fact that there are some really big games that I have not played. There are some games that may have featured on this list if I had gotten further into them. And what I've decided to do is take the two main ones. There are two big heavy hitters that I'm halfway through playing right now, Um, I just don't feel like I've gotten far enough through them to place them accurately in a top ten, so I've decided to just silo them off from the list. They are above the runners-up that I just read out, but they are below my ultimate top ten. And this is why I'm not calling it a final cut this year. Um, Who knows, by the time that I finish these two games, I might juggle this little top 10 and place things where I ultimately think they should have been. That could be something I do in the summer just for fun. But for now, these two will be special mentions of games that I played this year but couldn't quite slot into that top 10. And the first one is called Lies of P. So Lies of P is a pure Souls-like, it is a FromSoft-inspired, quite difficult, linear combat game in which you are hacking your way through enemies in strange configurations, you are exploring um, a wide linear pathway, you are taking down giant bosses, very, very FromSoft, there's a lot of blocking, a lot of parrying, dodge rolling, uh, trying not to get hit, um, Specking your character up using the right weapons, all of that kind of stuff that you will know if you've played any FromSoft games, Dark Souls. If you've played Elden Ring, of uh, P is in that lineage. People say it's most like Sekiro with the parrying mechanic, and most like Bloodborne in style. And this game was absolutely not on my radar. I'm not a big FromSoft fan. Um, I don't really like their their incredibly hostile, difficult games. Um, but I I do like the good stuff about them. You know, I love the art design. I do like tense combat. Um, And so, what I think Liza P does, which surprised me, is that it takes the FromSoft formula but it makes it accessible in a certain way. Like, I don't feel like this game wants to murder me constantly, and will do so gleefully at any given time. It's tough, but it wants you to, I don't know, grow into the game. I feel like this game is just a little more inviting. Um, than the other FromSoft games. I I feel less like it is bullying me, or that it's hostile towards me. Um, And that allows me to move into the game more and enjoy its world more. And it is a beautiful world. It's set in the Belle Epoque era, or the late 1800s and early 1900s of uh, France. It has an art deco style to it. Um, Very gothic, very decorative, um, very enjoyable. And it is based on Pinocchio. So it's this strange gothic city where you play as a maquette called Pinocchio. um, And there is an uprising going on where uh, puppets have turned against their masters. And so robots that people are using as slaves, basically, have gone mad and just killed everyone in the city. Um, And you, as Pinocchio, have to travel through the wreckage of this city, uh, fighting your way through it, meeting characters along the way. Um, and working towards the conclusion of setting things right. Um, And I absolutely love this game, I really fell headfirst into it. Um, Over Christmas I was planning to do a lot of Game of the Year homework. This was the first game that I picked up, and I had a list, a ten long list of games I was going to try over Christmas. And Lies of P just got its hooks into me instantly. Um, I fell into the game, I managed to get past five story bosses, some of which are considered quite difficult I believe, um, I never hit that difficulty roadblock that I was waiting for, and so I was just enjoying the game the whole time. I think the graphics were absolutely beautiful, the architecture, um, the the decorative stonework, the statues, the the lightning flashes, the churning skies. Uh, the enemy variety is awesome. The weapon variety is awesome. There are elemental attacks. There are all kinds of special weapons that you can get, like a, a kind of a hook shot that will draw small enemies towards you or draw you towards big enemies. Um, a flamethrower. There are all kinds of these special weapons that you can get. Um, Weapons are detachable, so you have a handle and a head, um, so you can mix and match and create your own weapons with different styles of strike and different elemental attacks. Um, And the story is nice too. It's a little more straightforward uh, than FromSoft games. I felt like I could not make head nor tail of Elden Ring, and I still have my doubts about whether there is a coherent story available in that game. Um, That is not the case in Liza P. Um, There is a story to follow. You do meet Geppetto, your creator. You meet many people along the way who will fill you in on the state of the world. Uh, It's not watertight story. It does kind of go off track sometimes. There have been sections of game where I was like, I'm not sure what my aim is in this area. Um, So there have been some rickety moments along the way, but honestly, it's just such a satisfying gameplay experience. Um, But I am only about 40% of the way through it. I am expecting to run into a brick wall at some point and not be able to progress just because of difficulty, because that's the Souls-like formula. But so far, the challenge has been firm, but not insurmountable in any uh, way at all. So I'm quite excited to see how far through this game I get. Um, And I will probably do an episode about it in full in the future. For now, I think it was just... um, I just didn't have enough time with the game to place it fully. I think I need to see the end of this game, or at least get as far as I can into it, um, to get a full opinion of exactly how good it is and exactly how much I like it. Uh, but for now, I'm having a wonderful time with Lies of P. Um, the second game that fits into this little special mention category um, for games that I just didn't have enough time to place in my list is a really big one, many people's game of the year. It is Baldur's Gate 3. So Baldur's Gate 3 is, of course, the surprise hit of the year. Surprise for some at least, me included. It is by Larian Studios. It's the third game in the Baldur's Gate series of CRPGs based on Dungeons & Dragons. It came out in August. It took the world by storm. It is this year's viral game. You know, there's always one. Like, we had Vampire Survivors one year, um, that kind of thing. We had Overwatch, we had Fortnite, uh, which just seems to go on forever. But this year it was Baldur's Gate 3. This is the game. This is the one that swept across the gamersphere. Uh, that captured everyone's hearts. Um, I've played a fair bit of it. I think 35 hours at this point. I have finished Act 1 of the three acts. um, And I just didn't have enough time. The clock ran down on me. Um, I'm loving what I have played so far. I'm enjoying the the combat. I'm enjoying the turn-based combat uh, where you can move around. You have an action point and a bonus action. You control four people in your party. Very, very enjoyable uh, to control the four people. You have an archer, healer, Uh, a tank who does melee damage, that kind of thing. You you can select your party, you can equip them in different ways, you can spec them in different ways. Um, And that's all very well and good. But the real heart of this game, and what makes it special, is the storytelling. It is the immersive sim elements uh, where you use the world around you in unpredictable ways, or predictable ways if you think smart enough. You can make anything happen in this game. There are so many approaches to every problem everything seems to have been thought of and the systems of the game just interlock in a way that is genius, basically. Um, I've also been very taken with the high fantasy storytelling. Um, I've enjoyed the characters that I've met. Fantasy is not always my favourite when it comes to elves and dwarves and vampires and so far. But the world of Baldur's Gate 3 is just so rich So passionate, so lovingly told, the story is so good. The characters have a pulse, the voice acting is amazing. Um, There is a narrator who will read things out to you and tell you the story like a dungeon master as you are travelling through the game. Um, The only ding that I have against Baldur's Gate 3, I think, is that it's just really fucking fiddly and complicated. Um, There are so many tiny buttons, there are so many types of action, there are so many menus within menus. Uh, the inventory is massive. I'm constantly encumbered like a Bethesda game. So it's got all this baggage as well. I think it's a very fiddly game. Um, I constantly feel like I'm delving into menus when I'd rather just be in the action. Um, but that's DD for you. So perhaps the, the thing that holds Baldur's Gate back for me personally is just that it is a true Dungeons & Dragons game. So there's lots of rules. Um, you have to learn them all. And if you are starting from zero like me, It can just make you feel a little disconnected from the events of the game world, if that makes sense. So Baldur's Gate for me, I mean, I think if I had to place it on my list, it might be around 7 or something like that. Um, But I do have a long way to go, and I will be talking about Baldur's Gate 3 in a future episode. Um, So if you do like that game, then do hang out for that in the future. Uh, and when I've gotten further into it, when I've gotten far enough that I feel like I can confidently review the game in full. So expect to hear that in the future. I will also, at that time, say if it might have um, climbed or fallen in this top 10, but for now, that's Baldur's Gate 3. So that was the runners-up and the special mentions. We started off with Sludge Life 2, we talked about Wild Hearts, uh, we talked about Chia, we have talked about Dead Space Remake, and the final runner-up was Gunbrella. Then we had those two very special mentions for Lies of P and Baldur's Gate 3, two games that I know were very highly rated this year, and it's been a pleasure to play them. Two really big games, two very unexpected games for me. Um, I wish I had spent more time with them, um, and I will be curious to find out where they might have landed if I had played enough of them to feature in this top ten. But nevertheless, we have gotten to the top 10 games of Gaming in the Wild for 2023. And at 10th place, it is a little bit of a surprise. I like to use the 10th place slot for something a little bit quirky. In the past, this slot has been occupied by things like Power Wash Simulator, a very oddball choice for a top 10, but a game that I really loved last year. And the year before that, it was Cloud Gardens, the Vauxhall gardening game. And this year, I'm keeping that spirit alive. So this year's 10th placed game of the year for me is the phone game that took me by storm, took the show's Discord by storm, a game that I have played every day since I first discovered it. It is Coffee Golf. And I think anyone that has played Coffee Golf will recognize that sound with dread. Um, this is the Daily Golf game. It's a touchscreen phone game by Charlotte Games. Uh, you draw your finger back, you let it go, and you hit the ball, you let it rip. You have a driver, you have a wedge, and you have a putter. Um, You have five holes a day, you can complete them in any order that you want, Um, and then you get a Wordle-like graphic after you've completed the holes that you can share with your friends and see what order you took the holes in, uh, compete for the best score. And I had so much fun this year, every day just uh, playing coffee golf. Um, You do a simple round at the start, but then it takes a little while for you to figure out the course. Um, The course is AI-generated and different every day. Um, There are hazards in the way, there are trees, there are um, geometry, there's like ledges that you can hit, there are water traps and sand pits, so you have to plan your way around, you have to try and get holes in one, it becomes like a small strategy exercise, and um, figuring out your way around the course. I felt like this was a really surprisingly good game for such a simple concept. They've just really, really nailed it. I did review it on the show, and at the time I said, Coffee Golf is an improbably compelling and addictive daily phone game. Each day you get a new five-hole golf course. It takes luck, skill, and strategy to get around the course, and whittle down your stroke count to get the best possible score. Um, and this really was a go-to game for me this year. I've spent, I'm have spent. i kind of glad that I can't see my full playtime, because I'm terrified about what it could have been, and um, my playtime was definitely not helped by the arrival of a competitive mode that came towards the end of the year. Um, This game went really well for Sherlock Games. Um, I've spoken to the developers a little bit on Twitter, really nice guys, Um, and they've come up with ways to monetize the game. You can now buy chips, um, and you can play competitively. There is random matching, so if you play in the competitive mode, um, you are matched up against a random person, or sometimes an AI bot, but often a random person, Um, and you have to compete to to try and get the lowest score and whoever gets the lowest score takes the pot. It's very addictive. Really, really fun little game. Um, I can't say enough good things about it. It was my phone game of the year, and I think it was my daily game of the year as well. Last year, Wordle took the world, the world by storm. or for the last couple of years now, we've had Quadle, we've had Blossom Game, we've had Well Word. I have a little round of daily games that I play. But this year, Coffee Golf took the biscuit. Um, I've played it for an inordinate amount of time. I've really enjoyed the competitive mode. Um, in the Discord, we still have a channel where people are posting their Coffee Golf scores every day, and it's just so fun. You can get quite good at it. You really can. You can start using trees to bounce the ball into a hole. You can go. Around- around corners by hitting into a ledge and letting the ball bounce at 45 degrees and trickle into the hole there are all kinds of tricks that you can do so a big shout out to Sherlock games coffee golf was a really really good little game and it is my number 10 game of 2023 so moving on to number nine this is a game that i knew about ahead of time but i really didn't expect to love it quite as much as i did it's a very special interesting well-produced visual novel it is called goodbye volcano high And Goodbye Volcano High was another real big surprise to me. I wasn't expecting to love this game the way that I did. Um, It's about a, a bunch of dinosaurs in high school. It has that breakfast club style, teenage high school drama kind of feel to it. You're going through crushes. You're going through breakups, you're going through friendship problems, there is uh, nerds, there are punks, there are all kinds of people around. And I found that it packed a real strong emotional punch. Um, the characters got to me, the writing got to me, and the music is wonderful. You're in a band in high school uh, called Worm Drama, and the songs that they play are just gorgeous, man. It sounds like sounds like stuff I actually listen to, like Yola Tengo and Soccer Mommy, just that autumnal US indie rock sound. Um, But I reviewed this game at the time, and I said this about it. Uh, Goodbye Volcano High is a lushly produced visual novel about a high school band at the end of the world. Playing as a hot goth dino called Fang, we navigate crushes, fallouts, band practice and role-playing sessions, all via dialogue choices and light rhythm gameplay. It's an absorbing story, lit up by sparkling writing, sensuous art, and a dreamy guitar-pop soundtrack. And I stand by all of that. I would say even if you are not someone who considers themselves a visual novel fan, this might be the one that is worth trying. I think it is the single most well-produced and ambitious visual novel that I have ever played. Um, If you are someone who generally tends to lean away from visual novels but did play Coffee Talk or something like that, Goodbye Volcano High is definitely this year's Coffee Talk. It's just a dream really. Um, you get through it in, I think, about nine hours. It's the perfect kind of game to play on a handheld, um, to sit back with at the end of the day and just play a chapter. It was a really nice comfort game. Um, there's enough gameplay to keep it interesting, but not enough to stress you out or make you have to focus more than you want to after a long day at work. So well done to Co-op for making this game. Um, this is a really, really good one. I highly recommend it. I hope more people play it. I think this is a, a visual novel that deserves the world's attention. That is goodbye, Volcano High. And that takes us to 8th place. This is a game that some of you might have been expecting to see on this list if you listen to the show. It came out way back in February, it is a solo developed game, it is a true indie game. The developer is Madison Carr, and the game is Birth. So birth is a game that I first saw, I think, in Day of the Devs last year. And the art style just caught my attention immediately. I went and uh, Googled it. I wishlisted it on Steam. um, And when it came out, I was really, really happy to play it. Um, It's a really, really charming looking game. It has a line-drawn art style. Everything is very hand-drawn. It is a point-and-click, a very sensitive, tender vulnerable solo dev point and click um, with a funny physics system and with a lot of heart. Um, the game is about building a companion from bones and body parts because you've moved to a big city and you are lonely. Um, so you click around different rooms, um, you will enter them. Each one is like a little puzzle box. There are physics puzzles for you to do. Uh, for example, throwing flowers aside and finding inside a little bone that you can add to your collection. Or opening an envelope and finding a code. You have to crack that code. Or just funny puzzles like um, jigsaws and things like that. Some of them are physics and funny, like pouring things from one container to another with a very hilariously clumsy system where stuff just goes everywhere. Um, Some are just like light activities. They're not even puzzles, really, and just very tactile and enjoyable to do. Um, I think this is a really lovely game. Uh, There are a few games that I have played that have quite as much heart as Birth. Um, I reviewed it at the time, and I said, Birth is a short, heartfelt, point-and-click game in which we navigate a strange, line-drawn city, interacting with the bony creatures and odd situations we find there. The puzzles involve playful physics, hidden objects, and pattern-matching mechanics that raise a smile and evoke all the sadness, seriousness, and silliness of our fleeting lives. Yeah, I really enjoyed this game. I don't do many developer interviews on this podcast, but I did reach out to Madison Carr. There was just something about the the authoredness of this game, something about the emotional tone that it has, Something about the autobiographical seeming subject matter, um, the playfulness of it. I just wanted to know more. So it was really fun to connect with Madison and talk to Madison. Um, You can find that episode in the back catalogue. I think it happened in... January or February of 2023. So if you would like to hear me talk to Madison Carr about the making of Birth, it was just a really lovely conversation. It is a really lovely game. Um, I bought it as a Christmas gift for someone this year. I thought they might enjoy playing it with their girlfriend. It's a really cute one. So get yourself on Steam, go and find Birth. I think it's about $10. Give it a try. Really, really good game that came out this year um, and definitely a top indie pick for me. Uh, But the next game is a bit of a big hitter, this one. This one came out on Game Pass. It's by Don't Nod. It came out in October, and it definitely developed a cult audience straight away. Uh, This is the zen like climbing game, Je Sente. So Chasson is a style of game that I've actually wanted and wished existed long before it did. Um, I remember playing Death Stranding and thinking, I wish that this game was just about hiking. I've not played a game that goes as far into the tactile activity of hiking, about judging angles, about taking large steps, taking a risk, finding a path, um, climbing over terrain, the slipperiness of the terrain, keeping your balance. It was also tactile. And um I wish that more games engaged with that kind of movement system in a more in, in this kind of complex, tactile way that actually brings the real activity to mind. A lot of times in games we just push forward to go and we never really have to think about the terrain, you know. It's getting more and more automated over time, for better and for worse, like in the Assassin's Creeds and the Horizons where you're just vaulting over things. You don't even have to think about it, you know, and the uncharted climbing, the God of War climbing, the Yellow Ledge Sony climbing. So, Chasson is the opposite of all that. It is closer to Death Stranding's movement mechanics. It is a a climbing game in which you use the left trigger for your left hand, the right trigger for your right hand, um, and you use the sticks to guide those reaching hands to find the next handhold. You pull down the trigger to close your hand on that handhold, and you use the stick to take your next hand and reach for the next handhold so it becomes very natural very quickly and it feels great to do Um, and all of this is helped by a fantastical storyline in which you walk through a desert and see a huge cylinder of rock jutting up out of the earth and far into the clouds so right from the start of the game you know exactly what you're going to do you're going to climb that tower And along the way, you will find out what is happening in this dry, deserted world. I reviewed this one at the time when it came out in October, and I said it's a zen, mechanically innovative climbing game in which a nameless protagonist climbs up a huge rock tower in a dry, deserted world. The wordless story adds some intrigue, and the methodical, tactile, handhold-by-handhold climbing really shines. Just a very beautiful game, this one. I think that... If you are a fan of the the journey-like experience or the far-learned-sails type experience, uh, where you are moving through a world that has a lot of vibes, that looks beautiful, that sounds beautiful, um, and there's something zen about it, you are kept busy, but it's also just something to relax with, to drift into. Um, I had a really, really good time with this one this year. It was also the Discord's highest-rated indie game of the year. If you would like to hear the rest of our Discord's picks... There was a vote to decide on the Discord games of the year, Je placed three, second only to a couple of the really big heavy hitters of the year. So it's not just me that recommends this one, I think you'll be seeing it pop up in a lot of top tens, Uh, but this was a really special indie game this year, that was Je And placed at number six, before we get into the top five, it's the last game before we crack the top five. It's another indie game. This was a very intriguing one that was a long time in development. We saw quite a lot of it before it came out. I was intrigued for sure, but I think, um, much like Je it's the kind of game that you have to get your hands on and play to really know if it is going to be for you, despite liking the concept. It's another one where they really hit it out of the park. This one is by Free Lives. It was published by Devolver. It came out way back in March, and it is called Terra Nil. Terra Nil is a game that you may have heard me talk about already in this Games of the Year season. If you listened to the episode with Brad Galloway, uh, made I think three weeks ago it came out, um, we picked our Moment of the Year as part of our Game Awards for 2023. Um, I gave Terra Nil the Moment of the Year Award Um, And that's because this is an emotional game. This game hit me right in the heart in a way that I was not expecting. It is a top-down strategy game, um, but rather than building a city, like in the classic SimCity, City City Skylines, and all of those kinds of games, it's about um, terraforming. So you arrive in a broken, dry world with just brown um, ground, with just rocks, with no weather, with no troposphere, with no plants, with no animals... Um, And you have machines that you've brought with you that you can build uh, to water the land, to irrigate the land, to sow seeds. And as you do so, the world starts to come slowly back to life. Um, This just hit me so hard. There was something about playing this game in the climate anxiety times that we live in um, that just filled me with sadness and joy in a way that I just couldn't have seen coming. And when you take a world from a dry sand bowl to a, a verdant rainforest, uh, using your machines, and then you pack up all of the machines and the final um, leg of your journey on each planet. Um, you break down in every piece of machinery, every cable car you've used, every irrigation device, every logging device, all of the stuff that you used to bring this world back to life, you recycle, and then you blast off and leave this untouched natural world. Well, very much touched, I suppose, but you get the picture. So to me this was a very, very special game. I think it is a philosophically bold, inspiring, emotional, tech utopian uh, strategy game. I reviewed it at the time when it came out back in March and I said, Terra Nil is a relaxing and at times taxing terraforming game about repairing the ecosystems of a decimated world, then cleaning up after yourself and leaving it to flourish. It's a profound, philosophically important and surprisingly emotional experience. Um, I will say, This game is on Netflix. If you have a Netflix account, you can play it. I would recommend playing it if you have a giant phone um, or if you have a tablet like an iPad or an Android tablet. This game plays very well that way. It has since come out on Switch and will be coming to all of the other consoles as well. Um, I really recommend this one. I recommend wearing headphones when you play it, uh, turning down the lights, play it when you're feeling cozy and focused um, and just let the experience wash over you. Um, The game isn't without its flaws. There are some optional aims that are a little unclear. Um, Some of the building can be a little jank at times. You feel like you should be able to build somewhere, but you can't. There are a few instances of that. Um, There were some times when I had gotten pretty far and I I painted myself into a corner and I had to just restart the level again. Um, It didn't feel like it had been my fault in a way. Um, So I think that this is by no means a perfect game at all, but there is just... So much going for it that the flaws don't matter. Um, in the case of Terranil, um, the totality of the game just um, is just something very special. And that's why it's my number 6th placed game of the year for 2023. Um, and that takes us out of the lower half of this top 10 and into the place where shit gets real. So my 5th placed game breaking into the top 5 of the year. It's another indie game. It's another indie game you may have heard about. It did very well this year and it found a really good reception. Um, It found a really big audience and sold very well too. It is a Lovecraftian fishing game, no less. It is by Black Salt Games. It came out back in March um, and it is called Dredge. So Dredge was definitely one of the breakout indie hits of this year. It's a very, very well-made game. It's by a small three-person team. That is Black Salt Games. I believe they are located down in New Zealand. Um, And this game was a breakout hit. It has sold millions of copies. Um, So it's really nice to see a little indie game come out and do so well. Um, You play as a boat in this game. It's a vehicular game. So... You never really get out of the boat. There are docks where you get a little UI screen and you can talk to people. Um, and there are little animations and cutscenes and so forth. But for most of the game you're looking at the back of a little fishing boat which is bobbing around on an ocean. Um, you have to travel around that ocean looking for bubbles. Um, you can then fish. Uh, Puzzle the fish into your hold in a Resident Evil 4-style inventory puzzle. Uh, But sometimes you need different rods. Sometimes the fish are the wrong shape and you have to throw them back. Sometimes the fish deteriorate too quickly for you to be able to sell them and you end up with a rotten hold. Um, But also, when things get dark, when night falls in this world, things get very weird. There is a day-night cycle, um, and you will find that the seas get strange at night, and it is just quite wonderful to explore this world and have this feeling of creeping dread um, and being on a really big adventure. It's a very ingenious game mechanically. At the start of the game, your ship is very slow and and that limits you, but as you start to find scrap, as you do things to unlock the shipyard, you can start to power up your ship so it's faster. Um, You can cross larger stretches of water before night falls and things get weird. And you can start to explore the other archipelagos dotted around the map of the game. Um, there are four different biomes, and then the the hub in the centre. Each one presents different challenges. There are some very weird things going on out there, but there's also a little human community that just seems to be clinging on to the edge of the world, just clinging on for survival, locking the windows closed at night. Everyone knows that something is going on, um, and as you progress through the game, you'll find out more about what that is. Um, I reviewed this one when it came out on the 30th of March. Um, you can listen to a full episode about it if you would like. At the time, I said... Dredge is a crisply designed mini open world fishing game with a murky, eerie atmosphere. Explore an odd, far-flung archipelago, dredge up strange fish and even stranger secrets, and piece together the story of this precarious, haunting world. Um, so that was a big hit this year. Um, I played it on PlayStation 5, where it performed admirably. Um, you can get it on different consoles and Steam, I believe. Um, really, really recommend checking that one out if you haven't. I think it's the kind of game that anyone can get into. It's just compulsive, compelling, crisply designed, well put together. All of the systems work together in tandem, um, and the story is just a keeper. Um is some of the most fun I had this year. It was a game that I got obsessed with and finished in just a couple of sessions um, and had a really good time with. Uh, That is Dredge, which takes us to number four. Um, And this is one of the big hitters of this year. I have been wringing my hands about my list. Um, So far, so indie, you might say, uh, but that's all about to change because number four on this list is one of the biggest games of the year, one of the most expensively, lushly produced games of the year uh, based on a Hollywood film franchise, no less. It is Star Wars Jedi Survivor. as surprised as anyone to find this game on my list um, I played Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order um, and I quite liked it I thought it was quite good I enjoyed the combat I enjoyed the story and I very much enjoyed the Star Wars-ness of it all um, I think that these games do a really good job of summoning up the Star Wars universe and this game really did knock it out of the park I can't believe how good this game was it far surpassed my expectations it is like Fallen Order but it's a a different proposition really. They have open world sections now where you can land on a desert planet somewhere in the Star Wars universe and go out as a Jedi into the wilderness. You will have linear sections where you face bandits and bounty hunters, monsters and creatures. You will move through deserted shipyards. You will find settlements. Um, You'll find friends along the way, as well as enemies. Um, And Cal Kestis gets swept up in a giant Star Wars story Um, that does the series proud. Uh, The game is by Respawn. It was published by Electronic Arts. Um, I would say this is the most ambitious Star Wars game to date by far. Um, The combat is just so sharp. The lightsaber fantasy is real. Um, The skill tree is really cool. You can unlock all kinds of Jedi abilities. You, You can be lifting people up using the force. You can be pushing them off cliffs. You can be rebounding laser beams as you charge into battle. You will face off against some really giant, scary, iconic foes. Um, And the whole thing is just a wonder, really. Um, I was so swept up in this world, I could not wait to get back to it. Even given that it didn't run particularly well, um, I think that just the the totality of the game is amazing. Um, It has probably the best video game bar that I can think of. I really like a good video game bar. In this game, it acts as the hub. Um, You will meet friends out in the world and you'll bring them back to the bar. And it slowly turns from this desolate saloon with just cloth everywhere, boxes everywhere, dust everywhere, into a truly thriving hub. Um, There is a hollow chess minigame in there that I got absolutely addicted to. Um, This is just a very, very satisfying ride. Um, I did review it when it came out, and at the time I said, Jedi Survivor is a laudably ambitious sequel to Jedi Fallen Order. It follows Cal Kestis through the second act of his Jedi journey. No longer a Padawan, the lightsaber combat is crunchy, fast, and better than ever but the magic ingredient here is the world itself. It is a detailed, vibrant, populous world that brings the Star Wars universe to life in a whole new way. Um, I really don't know what higher praise I can give to this one. Um, I would love to hear from people who have played this one. Honestly, it seems like a lot of people that I know just passed it over, Uh, but to me, this is one of the games of the year, and that's why it was the fourth best game of 2023 for me. Uh, Next up, we are into the top three. Um, This one is my personal indie game of the year. It is the highest-placed indie game on this list. My number three game by Scavengers Studio is Season, A Letter to the Future. have such nice memories of Seasonal Letters of the Future. It came out way back in January. It was the first big indie release of the year for me personally. Um, I had been waiting for this game for so long. Um, the trailers look absolutely gorgeous. We saw um, an Afro sunglasses wearing protagonist in a really cool baggy outfit, um, cycling with a really nice cel-shaded minimalist art style through a really quite beautiful world, through an abandoned world where things were crumbling. Uh, through forest paths, through farmland. Um, just a very arresting image. Uh, we saw in the trailer that the protagonist can record sound, uh, can take photographs, can take notes in their notebook and scrapbook together things that they find out in the world. Um, and when the game actually came around, the premise was just very, very beautiful. Um, you, as I think the protagonist is called Stella or Estelle, Uh, You leave your hometown and you head out into the world at the cusp of a change of season. Um, Seasons in this world are um, kind of like an epoch, uh, a time when there was like a, a leading air. There was something in the air, something in the zeitgeist. There was a golden season where everything was good. There was a season of war and the season is about to change. And as you go out into the world, your mission is to document the season that was, the season that is ending, to try and find its identity, and to look ahead to the season that is coming. Uh, You do so by meeting people, talking to people, uh, taking pictures, cycling through a valley that will soon be flooded. Um, And I just found this game to be an absolute dream. I was in a trance when I was playing it. I just lost myself in it entirely. I found it to be poetic tranquil, thoughtful and lyrical. Um, I reviewed it at the time and said, Season A Letter to the Future is a wistful exploration game in which the player cycles through a picturesque, all but abandoned valley before it is washed away by an inevitable flood. We document the sights, sounds, traditions and lives of this odd place, meeting locals and recording the details for posterity in a memorable, freewheeling journey. Um, I believe that Season is currently only out on the PlayStation and on Steam, um, but I would recommend finding a way to play this one. It plays absolutely wonderfully on the PS5. Um, I would say, much like a a couple of the other games that I've picked here, much like Terra Nil, much like Birth, this is a game to sit down and focus on, um, to get your headphones on, to get the lights low, to be in the mood. Um, and to play it across an evening or a weekend in the dark winter. It's the perfect kind of game for that. Um, Scavenger Studio didn't have the best time with the release of this game. Um, There were some allegations of workplace misconduct and that kind of thing. Um, After the game came out... Um, It didn't sell like they had hoped, and I believe that most of the studio was let go in one of the many rounds of layoffs that we saw in the games industry this year. So we might not see another game from Scavengers, at least not in this style. So Season's very much a one-off. I would recommend seeking it out. It's a game that has... Fall into the bottom of the conversation. I think coming out in January and being such an odd duck of a game, people didn't really know what to make of it. So people found it a little slow and plodding, but to me that was a strength. And um, One of the reasons that Chia is not so high up on this list is that it leans too far into orthodoxy and seemed to second guess what gamers want um, to its own detriment rather than walking its own walk, plowing its own furrow. Uh, One thing that I can say about Season, A Letter to the Future, is that it does plough its own furrow. It does what it wants to do. It invites you along for the ride, and it is a stronger game because of it. That's why it is my third-placed best game of 2023. And now we are at the business end. Only two more games to go. Let's have a little recap of the top 10 so far. So at number 10, we had Coffee Golf, the daily phone game. At number nine, we had Goodbye Volcano High, the beautifully presented visual novel. At number eight, we had Birth, an emotional point and click by Madison Carr. At number seven, we had Je Sans by Don't Nod, the zen climbing game. Number six, we had Terra Nil, the relaxing, emotional, terraforming game. Number five, we had the Lovecraftian fishing game Dredge. Number four, we had Star Wars Jedi Survivor. And at number three, we had the dreamy cycling game, Season, A Letter to the Future. That means that there are only two games left to go, the top two of the year. Uh, Two big hitters, two big games, two games that dominated the conversation and sold millions of copies. Um, And at number two, this is a game that is very special to me and I know very special to a lot of people in the Gaming in the Wild audience and the Gaming in the Wild Discord In fact, it won the Discord's Game of the Year in the votes that we talked about on last week's show. It is a classic, an instant classic, an absolutely huge game, um, a work of art, a work of wonder. It is The Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom. And The Legend of Zelda series is a very special one to me. Uh, Link to the Past was the first Nintendo game that I ever loved, I think, deeply, deeply loved it. Um, I really love that game. I have such strong memories of playing it on school summer break as a as a kid, um, and I've been following Zelda ever since. I've been through many, many iterations of Hyrule, uh, from the Ocarina to the Wind Waker to the modern day Breath of the Wild, and always had an interest in it. I do think that Breath of the Wild took Hyrule, this fairy tale kingdom that is very special, that is somehow full of wonder, somehow full of magic and secrets, and they just made it big, they made it widescreen. Um, They filled the horizon with adventure. um, And it somehow managed to capture that same feeling that I got playing A Link to the Past as a young kid... um, ...and apply it to this vast, very different game. I I genuinely believe that Breath of the Wild is one of the best games that has ever been made. Um, Just the ambition, the sprawl, the boldness of it, the wholesomeness of it... ...and that sense of adventure and magic. Um, So when Tears of the Kingdom came out... Um, It was a very special day for me. It was like, it felt like Christmas. It came out on May the 12th. It's the only game on this list, the release date of which I remembered without having to look it up. I think May the 12th will forever be, to me, Tears of the Kingdom Day. It is, of course, by Nintendo. Um, And it was just a wonder. Um, Not only do we get uh, better characters, better NPCs, A better story told in flashback via these amazing anime-style cartoons that made me wish for a whole Zelda animated film. Uh, We got the wonderful addition of Sky Islands, where you can shoot up into the sky through the clouds. Um, You can glide, you can create machines and fly between these sky islands. And up in the sky, the light is golden and we get this beautiful music. And it's just absolutely, utterly absorbing and quite beautiful. It has such a reverence for nature. I think no other game quite has as much reverence for nature and the beauty of nature as the last two Zelda titles. Um, But in addition to that, we also got the depths, the dark underworld, much bigger than it first seems to explore. Um, So they made the game better in many different directions. We did, of course, also get Ultra Hand. This new ability that allows you to glue things together bit different machines, springs, fans, wheels, platforms, balloons, rockets, to create machines that you can use for all different things. The world is littered with puzzles that make you use the machines in fascinating ways, in genius ways. Um, you will feel like a genius at some points whilst playing this game. Um, and so the whole thing is just this glorious toy box, uh, just packed with things to do, things to see, um, story moments. Um, Hyrule has just never looked better. Um, They put some twists on familiar locations, like Dorito Village and uh, Kakariko Village are different to how they were before. So even though it's the same Hyrule overworld from Breath of the Wild, um, they have put twists on it and made it new again, not only with the the heights and the depths, but by changing around the landscape as well. Um, I reviewed this one over a couple of episodes, and at the time I said, Tears of the Kingdom is Nintendo's impossible sequel. How do you follow up the best game of all time? Their answer was to expand it in all directions. Tears of the Kingdom builds on the miraculous Breath of the Wild, soaring high and plunging deep, creating an astounding adventure in which the possibilities stretch as far as the horizon. So I think a few of you might be surprised to find that Zelda is my number two. It does seem like a shoe-in for a Gaming in the Wild number one game. There was another game that came along and surprised me even more, and that will be the game of the year. But before we get to that, I just want to say a huge shout out to all of the team that worked on Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Um, It is an absolutely magnificent game. It is an all-timer. It is just dizzying, just amazing. Um, and I can't wait to see what they do with it on Switch 2. It was squeezed onto the Switch. You know, it runs at 720p on that little screen. It was pixelated. Um, it doesn't run like a dream. Um, that's a slight sting against it, just that the Switch is old hardware at this point. And even this beautiful, miraculous game... Um, felt just a little bit old. Um, I can't wait for a remastered version on more powerful hardware. I would also say that perhaps the only other thing about it was that it is the same Hyrule again, and, and some of the emotional beats that you get exploring that map. Um, if you've had them before in Breath of the Wild, you do get them again in Tears of the Kingdom, um, but there is a lot that is the same. You know, It's the same Bokoblins, the same Moblins, um, a lot of the same enemies. There are some new ones, um, but the Bokoblins have these little raised platforms that you go and invade. And we had done that before. So, you know, there is a good half of Tears of the Kingdom um, that is a little bit like playing Breath of the Wild again. And it's true that it's very different because of the ultra hand, because of the heights, because of the depths. But the moment to moment, like riding your horse across the landscape, um, exploring the same places again, um, it's just a little, little ding against uh, Tears of the Kingdom. And I think it is perhaps why... This is the only game in the top 10 that I did not complete. Um, I think Zelda Tears of the Kingdom really does belong at the top of this list. I think it's a wonderful game. I think it's a miraculous game. So I'm not going to tear any holes in it. I think it is a marvel. Um, I'm very happy with it. Um, And I just had the most dreamy time playing it. Um, I really did move into a lovely emotional space playing that game. There was just something so soothing about it. The second that I finished work, I immediately went over to my bed, sat down and played Tears of the Kingdom until sleep, you know. You like pause to eat and then just play some more. It was one of those full immersion games. And it has a very strong, warm, emotional aura around it that I will never forget. That is Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. And that takes us to the top of this list. I wonder how many of you out there are guessing which game it is. It is a game that I was not expecting to like. It is a game that I had no expectations for, but went into positively. Um, it swept me away. For an entire month of this year, I was playing this game. I have over 100 hours clocked into it, and there is still so much more to do. Um, it's a game that I think a lot of people will be surprised to find at the top of this list if you are not a regular listener of the show, um, but across the course of this year, I made four entire episodes about this game. It just absorbed me so completely that I wasn't playing anything else. It's a controversial one, but it is my pick, and it is, of course, Starfield we And I couldn't tell you how surprised I am to have Starfield at the top of this list. If you had told me at the start of this year that Bethesda's Starfield would be my game of the year in a year where we saw Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, in a game where we saw indies like Season and Dredge and Terranil, when Star Wars Jedi Survivor punched so far above its weight and came in at almost the quality that we get from first-party Sony games, that very, very, very lush, uh, shiny, polished peak of gaming that janky old Starfield would come out of nowhere and just steal my heart. I would have told you you were crazy, but steal my heart it did. This game came out on September the 6th after being delayed for an entire year. Um, I reviewed it at the time and I had to say about it, we have Liftoff. Starfield is the long-awaited spacefaring RPG that's dizzying in its scope, depth, variety and possibility. It's a characteristically idiosyncratic Bethesda experience but my journey was packed with awe-inspiring moments. It is a feast of comfort food gaming that inspired a very pure and specific kind of gaming satisfaction. And I think that that's what this choice comes down to. Um, I played this game every day after work. Um, I would finish work, grab something to eat, something quick to cook, and then I would play this game for seven hours pretty much, and that went on for several weeks. Um... It was autumn. There wasn't a lot going on outside. I was I was pretty tired and kind of downbeat at that time in the year. Um, and Starfield was great. It was just somewhere to get lost. It just never seemed to end. There are so many planets that you can explore. Um, I really, really loved so many of the different installations that you'll find. There are cities and towns with quests upon quests. Um, you can just get sucked into local politics. You can get a job in a fish factory um, and start extracting hallucinogenic glands from these monstrous fish. Uh, you can join a street gang, even if it is a very silly toy town Bethesda street gang. Um, you can explore space, you can build your ship into anything you want it to be. Uh, you can get property and decorate it any way that you would like. There are endless base attacks for you to do, uh, taking out different enemies for loot um, and picking up things that you can then take and put on your the dashboard of your ship or on a shelf at home because of the persistent object stuff. Um, there is the main story, which is surprisingly engaging. It's a a mystery about going deep into space in search of ancient artifacts and untangling the mystery, Um, a huge cosmic mystery, basically. There are also, of course, faction quests. Um, There are the Free Star Collective, who are kind of spacefaring cowboys. There is the the United Colonies, the UC, uh, where you can join up and be like a a space uh, cop, basically, or a space um, helper, like an old-fashioned cop, going around helping people out, Um, and helping people out of scrapes and things like that. There is a pirate fleet that you can get involved with. Um, There is a city called Neon, an an indoor city, where you can join a corporation and try and scale the corporate ladder, get involved in corporate espionage. And all of the time, you are just evolving your character. You're working your way through the skill tree. You're getting better weapons. Um, It's just all so satisfying. Um, I hear the complaints about the game. I do hear them. I think the space travel is unfortunate. Um, I think that the game over-promised. It was incorrectly, inaccurately marketed, and that is why people are mad at it. Um, but when you actually just throw all of that out of the window and look at what is there, there is so much good stuff. Um, it's true that the fast travel is weird. It's true that encumbrance is a problem. There are many decisions in this game that are somewhat frustrating, so I do hear what people have to say about it who weren't such a big fan. Um, it's a little janky. Um, there are too many menus. There is a disappointing lack of freedom in space travel. But but what's there just completely absorbed me. I found myself in a trance in this game. Um, and I was so happy when I was playing it. It was the same kind of feeling that I got playing Fallout 4. I have a hundred hours in that game. And for the time that I was playing it, I was obsessed with that game, with the writing, with the game world, with the amount of stuff to find. Um, and Starfield is just the same. It's formatted a little differently. Um, it's not such a continuous world as you might find in Skyrim or Fallout, um, but there is just so much to do. If you can get past those little those little blips, those strange decisions that this game has taken, uh, what you will find inside is just a fantastic, sprawling space RPG, uh, wonderful music, good characters, and just so much to do. You can get lost in the shipbuilding, get lost in the base building, um, do the story, or just... Sometimes I just played it just to go and do base assaults, just to explore, land on a random planet, um, go up to a science installation that's infested with space pirates, and just shoot them all. The gunplay is really good. You get machine guns, you get lasers, you can use melee weapons if you want. You're constantly finding new weapons, shotguns, pistols, sniper rifles, Um, and I loved the shooting in this game. I loved creeping through all of those installations, like the core gameplay loop was fantastic, and the overall game just really got its hooks into me. I think regular listeners of the show may have seen this one coming. I did do four episodes about this game and got completely sucked into it. I was playing just nothing else. Um, It's a big achievement to me, and even though it, it may not be objectively the best game on this list, this is a year in which My list involved a lot of personal taste, and this is really a list of how much I enjoyed things. I think that sometimes in the past I've been more critically minded when I'm assembling my list, but this year it's an emotional list. It's all about the things that I like the most. That I just had a wonderful time with. And for fans of Starfield, it is a game that got ridden over roughshod in the media and social media. But at least it got this Game of the Year award here on Gaming in the Wild podcast. I absolutely love Starfield, and that is why it is my Game of the Year for 2023. <music> So I hope that you enjoyed that. That's my Games of the Year list done for 2023. It was a really big year for games. There was so much good stuff to talk about. Just to run through it one more time, I suggest that you try out all of these games if they sound even a little bit interesting to you. In my honourable mentions, I had Sludge Life 2, Wild Hearts, Chia, Dead Space Remake, and Gunbrella. We then had the very special mentions for games that I think are awesome but just could not place because I have not finished them or played enough of them. That is where I slotted the wonderful Baldur's Gate 3 and the excellent Riveting Lies of P. We then got into the top 10 where Coffee Golf was number 10, Goodbye Volcano High was number 9, Birth was number 8, Joshunt was number 7, Terranil was number 6, and then the top 5 were Dredge, Star Wars Jedi Survivor and number 4 Season a letter to the future at number 3 Zelda Tears of the Kingdom at number 2 and my game of the year Starfield. I'm quite curious if there'll be any response to this this somewhat oddball, somewhat left field, somewhat unusual choice for game of the year. I will leave comments on. I would love to hear from you. What did you think of this list? Do you think I'm a crazy person? Do you think I know nothing about games? Or are you fine with this just being my subjective list for 2023? Either way, I would like to hear from you. You can find me on social media as Gaming in the Wild on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. I will upload this to YouTube as well and make an edit of it uh, with footage from all of those games. Um, And that's it for the Games of the Year season for this year. I hope that you enjoyed it. There are a few other episodes that you can listen to. Uh, We had Blinkoom, Brad Galloway and Kieran Daly on as guests. Um, And there are full reviews. Dedicated to almost all of the games on this list, so if you would like to hear more. Um, Of my thoughts or deeper thoughts about any of the games that I've mentioned, you can look back into the backlog of this podcast and you can find episodes about all of those games. Um, If you are enjoying this show, if you've made it this far, then please do give the show a rating on Spotify or a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Send it to a friend, uh, retweet the show announcement, help me get it out into the world. I appreciate all of that. Um, You're also welcome to come and join the Patreon, come and join the Discord. Um, that's at patreon.com slash gaming in the wild I'm all talked out after this really long solo episode so take care of yourselves and each other and bye bye for now